Well, I want to invite everyone to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, you can use your phone. I'll assume you're not texting. Um, and uh, I know, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we're in Galatians chapter 5. Um, and I'm going to read our passage in just a moment. We're in Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 22 through 25. And this morning we're beginning a new sermon series titled Fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, this passage will be in for the next, through the end of the year. So uh, we're going to jump into here what Paul's teaching on the change that the Spirit brings in our life. I'm going to read our text, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, Paul, in this letter to a local church, uh, is communicating God's desire in our life. That God's desire, what God wants, which I think is always a very important question for us to wrestle with. What does God want? That God's desire for you and for me and for us is not simply that we experience salvation. God's desire is not simply that we experience future restoration, but that we also experience present transformation. God's desire isn't just salvation, it's personal transformation. God wants to bring change in your life. God desires personal life change. Now, how do you greet that statement? That God wants to bring personal life change. In fact, how would you fill in the blank? Life change is, what would you say? Uh, Some of us, we'd fill in that blank with life change is unnecessary. Or even wrong. Uh, We have been told things like, someone wants to change you, that's their problem. Don't date someone who can't accept you just for who you are. If they want to come into your life and bring change, you need to get out of that relationship. Some of us think that life change means we're unacceptable and that it's problematic. And and the relationships in our life that try to change us, we don't like them, whether it's parents trying to change their behavior or a boss or a pastor. You might even be thinking right now, oh great, here's the pastor. He's talking about all the ways I fail and all the ways I need to change and do better so God can accept me. Some of us think that life change is unnecessary or problematic and anyone who wants to bring change in our life is doing something wrong. Others, when we fill in that blank, we'd say life change is not possible or life change is hopeless. Or life change makes us feel inadequate. Sure, we would love to change. We would love this fruit of the Spirit. We've tried in the past. We've tried to change. 
But it all, all the pursuit of change just brings us back to feeling like a failure. And so we come to conversations around change. We come to the new year when everyone's making their resolutions. And we come to these conversations and we just think, you know, maybe other people, other people can change. Not me. For whatever reason, I'm just unable. I would love to, to have love. I'd love to have love. Love people. I'd love that. But, you know, I struggle, I struggle with impure thoughts. I'd really enjoy joy. It would be great to be joyful. But, you know, man, my, I just find myself thinking about what's wrong. I love peace. Peace is the right thing. Peace is good. That sounds like something God would like. That's like God talkers, they talk about peace. But man, I get angry. I get angry. Patience? <laughs> Patience. I'm impulsive. Self-control, you know, there's the problem. Self-control. I can control other people. I want to control other people, at least I think. I, I struggle to manage and control myself. Maybe, maybe you can relate with that. You would like to change, but you don't know if you can. You know, we come to this idea of life change, and, and some of us, we don't think we should. We don't think it's necessary. Others of us think that it's not even possible. And we want to talk this morning and begin a conversation about how genuine, lasting change can happen in our lives. We've been in a sermon series looking at legacy, and we talked about the kind of things we can invest in now that can leave a gospel legacy after we've gone. We've talked about things like church planting and discipleship and investing in the next generation and social justice and social renewal, the things that as a church we should, we should be pursuing. But here's the thing. We can pursue all those external endeavors, and they are good, and we need to. But if God doesn't first transform us on a personal level, then it'll always just be talk. It'll always just be scheming, planning. Until God begins to transform us right here, that change will always be just a dream. And so I want to invite you into a season now, from now until Christmas, of considering... How does the Spirit want to bring change in your life? And we begin this morning by the concept of change, how genuine, lasting change is possible. And we'll look at three things, the, the process of change, the power to change, and the potential of change. The process, the power, and the potential. Uh, first, the process of change. And we're going to look at the, the metaphor, fruit of the Spirit. What does that teach us about the kind of change that God wants to bring? And the first thing we see is this. Life change is about progress. Spirit-empowered change is about growth and progress. It is progressive. It is often slow. You know, many times we elevate people who have experienced change very drastically. And sure, that could happen, but but most of the time, the Spirit brings gradual change in our life. When Megan and I moved onto Arden Road in, in Clintonville, uh, we moved into a neighborhood where people had great landscaping. And, and our neighbors, on the right and left of our home, they had the most immaculate 
landscaping. In fact, one of our neighbors, one day we were walking out and we uh, took a left and we're walking by. And as we're walking by our neighbor's home, I look and there's a lady sitting on their front lawn in a chair with a canvas painting their house, painting their home and their landscaping. That is how amazing this place is, that someone would go there to just paint it and that would be art. And so as we're walking, you know, we're, we're kidless at the time. We're new to Clintonville. I'm walking with Megan and, and we see this lady painting and we're thinking, oh man, that's amazing. And then look back at our house. I look back at our house and I, and I saw a chain link fence on the driveway and then bushes. I don't even know what they were, but they were ugly. <laughs> and I, and I, th- you know, I thought something needs to change. Something needs to change. And so I did what every you know, recent graduate student does when confronted with the need for something to change. I went and I got a book. I got a book on landscaping. I read the book, didn't quite understand what it was. Uh, the pictures made sense. But that didn't change anything. That didn't really lead to anything. You know, you had to actually do something in order for your lawn to look nice. So we went to the Oakland Park Nursery and went in there and they were so friendly and nice and explained the things from the book that I didn't quite understand and they talked to us. And so we picked out a tree and some bushes and we brought them back to our home to change the landscaping. Now, the tree and the bushes that we got, we didn't just get a seed. You don't just get a seed if you want quick change. We actually bought a little mini tree, bought a tree, bought bushes, went in and dug out those old ugly bushes that I didn't know what they were, took them out of there. We didn't have a tree, so we just dug a hole and we planted them there, stepped back and looked back and looked and thought, oh, I don't know if anyone will come and paint this, but, but it's not horrible. And our neighbors came over and said, oh, we like the change. We like what you've done with the place. And we, you know, you're welcome. Um, few, about a year later, those bushes died because we didn't plant them right, picked the wrong ones. And we, we replanted, we got new ones. But, you know, we, we, we wanted drastic change quickly. And so we went and got bushes and a tree that someone else had planted and put them in there. Now, if we had gotten seeds and went and planted them in the ground, that change would take a while. And if you were walking by the home, just like I was walking by my neighbor's house, and you saw me sitting there not painting anything, but just staring at the ground, and you said, Jay, what are you doing? It's on the ground. You think, well, I just planted some seeds, and waiting for some change. You would, what would you do? You'd step back. If you had kids, you'd grab the kids, you know, you'd Jay doesn't quite get how change works when it comes to sowing and reaping. You know, many of us, we want change kind of like going to the Oakland's nursery. We want someone else to plant the seed, someone else to cause the growth. We just want to bring it and then put it in immediately. But life change, spirit-empowered change, takes time. It takes seasons. There's a process It's gradual. It takes time. The Apostle Paul, he's talking about change. He writes a letter to this church in Philippi. He's encouraging them. He says, I'm so thankful for your ministry. I'm so thankful for all the good that you're doing. I'm so thankful for all that God's doing in your life and the ways that that is expressing. And then look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 6. And he says, I'm sure of this. 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's saying, listen, I know sometimes change doesn't feel like it's happening. We don't think that it's there. But I'm convinced that God's at work and he's going to cause the growth. And then he goes on in verse 9. He says, and it is my prayer, I love this, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with, look, there it is, there's that word, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through trying really hard and reading the right, no, comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness, Paul says. He puts it this way, he says that your love may abound more and more. What Paul is saying here is this, that You know, I'm so encouraged by the way God is working in your life. And my prayer is that that love continue to grow. That you continue, that you grow. Paul understands that change is a gradual process. And that's why at Scarlet City, when we think of one church word I want to use, and please don't be scared by it, the idea of sanctification, which is the idea of growing to look more like Jesus. There's two common mindsets about this in the church. You know, the cultural mindset is, you know, don't change me. Uh, You need to change, but I don't need to change. And what we've seen is that God comes into our life and he wants to bring personal change. And there's two ways to look at this. One is a boundary or, yeah, a boundary set. A boundary set. And the idea here is that there's insiders and there's outsiders. There's, here's the behaviors that we say these are okay and everyone needs to do this. And if you do these behaviors, at least if people can see those behaviors you avoid and the ones you do, then you're, you're in. You're an insider. Boundary set. What am I saying? Do to be in within the boundaries. The other is centered set. The other is the idea that here's Jesus and the gospel, and we're all on a journey toward him. It's about progress. You know, that's why Jesus in the gospel of John, he has this John records this very interesting conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a boundary set person. He's a religious leader. That's why he goes and visits Jesus at night. He doesn't want other people to see his behavior. He goes at night so others don't kick him out of the camp. And Nicodemus goes there and he's a religious man. He would be the person that we would say, these are the behaviors we would all want. And Jesus says, you know, you're not as in as you think. You're not as in as you think. In fact, you need to be born again of the Spirit. And then the very next chapter, John records Jesus meeting a woman at a well. And the woman at the well was literally an outsider. No one wanted to be with her. She was at a well by herself in the middle of the day. She's the exact opposite of Nicodemus, a woman who's had uh, multiple affairs. And Jesus says to her, says, you're not as outside as you think. I've come. And Jesus doesn't come and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. Just live your life and be free. It doesn't matter. Who cares what you do? No, he doesn't say that. He understands the pain of her decisions. And he says, I have come to give you a water that will ultimately satisfy. Jesus comes and he wants to deliver this woman. Deliver her. And the pains of her life. And that invitation is for all of us as well. There he is. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. The invitation of Jesus is one 
of progress, moving toward Him. I mean, after all, the fruit of the Spirit, you ever going to perfect all of these in your life? Typically, we choose the behaviors we can measure. We can do things like go to church. We can pick behaviors that you can measure to check off. And God says, I want to bring change in your heart. You ever going to perfect love? You ever going to perfect peace? You ever going to perfect joy and kindness and gentleness? You won't. Life is a journey of pursuing Jesus. Uh, We see the progress, the process of change. Also, we see the power for change. The power to experience genuine, lasting change. What we see here is that life change emerges from the internal power of a life-giving God. This idea of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul put it in Philippians, he says, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus, speaking about this in Matthew 7, says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. The Bible over and over again, when it speaks about change, it's this idea of, of the fruit that comes from it. Now, fruit is organic growth. Very different than mechanical growth. Mechanical growth is about getting the parts, having the instructions, and then assembling. It's like when you build a car. You didn't take a seed, plant it somewhere, and out came an automobile. It required parts, instructions, and assembly. It's like Ikea furniture. You don't plant Ikea furniture. You have to build it. You get a box and you open it and there are instructions. And thankfully for me, it's just pictures, not words. Very simple. And, uh, and you take these parts and you put them together and out comes a dresser. This is mechanical change. This is good. It's change. Organic change is different though. Organic change, you have instructions. There's a process to this. Work is required, but it begins with the seed begins very, very small. We take an acorn. Think of that acorn seed. All the power right there to bring growth and change. To bring a, that small little seed that can grow to be a tree that can break through concrete. All right there. You know, the spiritual change, the change that God wants to bring is Organic begins with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and those of us who, when we, we greet this conversation, we think, you know, how, how can this change happen? Often it's because we're trying to be mechanical. We're trying to just look the part. We're trying to just assemble a life. And what God invites us to is to open, to be open to his power coming into our life to bring change. I mean, think about the power of the Spirit. All the change and the growth that it can bring in your life, the power for love, the power for joy, the power for peace, the power for patience and kindness and gentleness, the power for self-control. When we open our life to the change that the Spirit can bring, and, and what we find is that when the Spirit is invested in your heart and my heart, when it's planted in us, change is inevitable. It will happen. Change is inevitable. And, and that statement can, it both brings discomfort and comfort. 
It brings discomfort because sometimes we look at our life and we, we, maybe there's no change. Jesus says in Matthew 7, earlier we read 16, the fruit, he said, you will know them by your fruits. And listen, he continues, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father. Jesus is saying, your fruit is what will reveal if you are with me or not. And you know, it's interesting because Jesus will go on and he'll describe the miraculous things that people do in his name. They're miraculous things. If someone does something miraculous, I'm thinking, man, that's powerful. They must be with God. Jesus says, no, there's going to be people who do miraculous things. There's going to be people who do miraculous things Grow large churches. Have impressive lives. Do great works. But they won't know me. They won't know me. It says you will recognize them by their faith. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? It does me. It does me. Because so many times I want the external expressions of these things and I miss the internal ways God wants to bring transformation in my life. And it requires us to really be humble and ask the question, how is God changing you and me? It's gradual, small. Sometimes we don't even see it in some seasons, but it's there. How is God bringing change? It's also comforting though, because change is inevitable and we're not called to manufacture it. We're not, called, we're not called to manufacture it. We're just tending to the Spirit's investment in our life. He calls us to just prepare the soil to find the right conditions. And so here's one of the critical questions. How am I, how are you, how are we open to the transforming work of the Spirit? Are we open? Do we read a passage like walk by the Spirit and think, you know, that's something I would really... I should do. Are we open to being led by the Spirit? Are we desiring to walk step by step with the Spirit? Are we open to the transforming power of the Spirit in our life? Because some of us, sometimes foolishness, some of us, we look at change and we think, ah, don't need it. Others need it, not you. But what God's calling us to, he's inviting us to, to consider, to wrestle, to process. How does God want to change me? And so I want to to put that question before you. Take some time this week, today, this month, this year, and wrestle with how does God want to bring change in your life? How does God want to bring change? Uh, one One way to do this is to talk to someone you're close to. A good friend, a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, someone you trust. Sit them down and talk to them and ask them, what are some areas in my life? What's one area that I can grow in? Now, don't, not like this, right? Not like, hey, pastor said I should change. I know, I, a lot of people sin a lot. I guess maybe I have, um, I don't know, anything you'd see, and then you give them like the, like the mean. Ready to pounce on them, and anything they share, it's 
Here's the thing. If, if someone doesn't have something to say, it's probably because you're not really giving them permission. Ask them, I'm so thankful for you and our relationship. I really want to grow. Sometimes I struggle. Can you help me? What's an area I can grow in? And then listen. Listen. The power to change is about getting connected to the Spirit, opening ourselves up to the Spirit. And that leads us to our third part in the journey, how we can open our heart up to God's work, how we can get in touch with that power, how the potential for that power can be actualized and realized in our life. You know, we've said that life change, it's progressive. It takes time. It's gradual. It's often slow. It requires being connected to the power of God. Now, how can we get in touch with that power? Again, if we think of the metaphor of fruit, when you think of a tree, when you look at a tree, you just see one part of that tree. There are roots that dig down deep, and the roots bring what? It brings stability. It brings stability, and the roots bring nutrients. For us to experience lasting, genuine change, we must dig the roots of our heart into something deeper than ourselves. If we just try to change in our own effort, it won't last. It's often mechanical. We must dig the roots of our heart into what? Into what? Into the gospel. Life change is the fruit of rooting our heart in the gospel. If you want to understand the fruit, you need to go to the root. Something Meg and I, we talk about often in our home. The, fr- the fruit, the things we see, the behaviors we see. You want to really understand why they're happening, what they're about. You need to trace it back to the root. Life change is heart change. Uh, Jesus puts it this way, Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. What is Jesus saying? It's very clear. Saying when you see these behaviors, it tells you something about the heart. Lasting change requires diagnosing the heart. It means heart transformation. Now, about two months ago, my car, uh, my good old Toyota Camry hybrid, nice, nice car. It got flooded. Oh. Water came up, damaged the car, won't work. Took it to the dealership. Uh, said my car won't work. Actually, I didn't take it. The tow truck took it because I couldn't drive it. I wasn't going to push it that far. So took it to the dealership, tow truck took it in, car's flooded. And I was really curious about what was going to happen. I've never had a car flooded out, what they were going to do. Now, if the dealer had called me, he said, oh, you know what? Good news. Good news. Painted the car. Looks really nice. I would think, no, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think you understand. The car got flooded and you're painting it. They, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, good news. Good news. Installed a new stereo system. Uh, I don't, that, you know, I, that's nice. Thank you. But now the car, I still can't drive the car. Good news. Good news. We put new tires on. I'm sorry. I don't think you understand the core of the problem. Why? Why I can't drive it? You're not addressing that. For many of us, we fail to go to the root. 
We need change in one area and we try to find other areas to just dress it up a little better. Car, if it's not working and it has a nice paint job, it doesn't matter. God invites us to experience real change and that means being willing and open and allowing God to press into those areas that sometimes we don't want. To understand the fruit, you need to trace it down to the root. So as we close, how to do this, and actually this is a setup for the, where we're going in the series. <laughs> so a little preview of where we're going as we speak through each of these fruits that the Spirit will bring. How to root your heart, how to root my heart into the gospel to experience change. Change is, progr- is about progress. Change means connecting to the power of the Spirit in our life. And so how do we open the Spirit's work? How do we allow, how do we root our heart into God and into His good news, into the gospel? First, we need to be acquainted with and know the death of idolatry. The the fruit of the flesh, sometimes it looks so good. But we need to know where it leads. Idolatry leads to death. When we give power over to our flesh, it does not have our best interest at heart. And we know this. We know it through experience. We need to be aware of the death of idolatry. We need to know the particular idols of our heart. What are the things that I give power to? Some things some of us don't struggle with. Others of us have very acute struggles in particular areas. And we need to know and have discernment and have the courage to talk about those. And then, and this is just as important, we need to delight. We need to delight in the goodness of the gospel. You see, some of us, we just want to like uproot that sin. You know, we just want to get the shovel, like the bushes, and just ah, dig it, throw it out, and then find someone else's tree to plant in there. But lasting change, it requires planting a seed. Uh, and that, fo- that requires fostering a heart that delights in the goodness of what God can bring. To delight in what is good. To delight in the gospel. To see Jesus, who's inviting us to come to him. To see the cross. The goodness of the only perfect, only perfect man being rooted and planted in his creation. To come into this world and to give his life, to give his life for people who are not inclined to the fruit of the Spirit, but the opposite. That Jesus planted himself into this world beaten and died so that we could have life. The goodness. What other story is that good? What other story can we delight in? It is not the story of God saying, listen, here I am. Earn your way to me. Here's the behaviors. Joy. Do that. And I will love you. No. It is the opposite. It is God so loves us. And in response to that love, we can delight the beauty of good living. You know, and this means that through the Spirit, it's about the heart. This is not just, 
You know, some of us, we hear, we hear people talk about, you know, delighting in the law of God, delighting in the, you know, real change. Real change is when we actually want to do the good. <laughs> We're not always there. <laughs> We're not always there, but the kind of change God wants to bring is to actually want the right thing, to delight in the right thing. Delight in the goodness of the gospel. And lastly, practice gospel-shaped habits. It's about surrounding ourselves with people, investing in relationships and experiences that will point our heart to what is good and right. Point our heart to what is good and right. Point our heart to what is good and right. You know, I've had friends who have had relationships that have encouraged them to invest in work that is obviously for their destruction. Do you have people in your life that will encourage you, fight for you, point you to what is good and right? I want to, I want to invite you to join us these next several weeks as we look at each of these fruits of the Spirit and how when the Spirit gets planted in our heart, it can enable them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being good and gracious and loving, Father. God, I, um, if uh, anyone's here is like me, both a little timid and hopeful, timid and hopeful, uh, sometimes change, it just feels impossible. You know, we want joy, but it just sometimes we think our story, that's not where, what it is. And God, we, we know that you're so patient. Thank you. Thank you for that. And we know that you, you want us to flourish. You delight in our good and help us to experience that. For people here that might be feeling indifference, God, I pray that you would, you would soften a hard heart. For people here that are feeling unable, I pray that you give them courage to give them courage. Um, send us your spirit. Before you do an awakening outside of the church, do an awakening in it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.